Um, We'll be reading from Philippians 1, verses 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only in that every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. We've been going through the book of Philippians now for just a few weeks, and uh, we'll be in this for about, I don't know, a couple more months or so, but um, I'm going to pray for us in just a second, and then uh, I got a, a little bit of review I want to talk about, and then we'll, we'll launch in as uh, into those verses that, that Richie read for us. So um, before we, I pray, I want to kind of give you a, a heads up of, of what I think this particular set of verses can do for us, okay? Now, it's not resting on me. It's resting on the, on, on the Word. So just, you know, if I, if I deliver well or I don't deliver well, you know, that's really not a big deal. But if... Um, the Lord would take his word and the Holy Spirit would illuminate our hearts and let us see what it's saying, that, that can cause some pretty, pretty enormous things. So that's what we're going to pray for. But I think that what we can see out of this is that it can literally change the way that we live our life. We can find ourselves being a much more tenacious person when it comes to gospel advancement. And so that's what I'm going to pray for. And I just, while I'm praying, I pray that you would pray that as well for your own life and for those around you. So... Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for the good news of the gospel that he has stood for us and in the way for us to receive and take on all of the punishment and all of the wrath because of our sin. And by that, we receive forgiveness. We, we can receive righteousness. We are now declared completely righteous in your eyes and we can march forward Um, knowing that since we are declared righteous, that we can live out lives that please you, that there's no condemnation for us anymore. And even more so, God, that we we can live a life of mission. We can live a life that has, at its core, a reason, a purpose, that we have the greatest message ever, and we want to proclaim it to everyone that we know so that they can have life in Christ. And so we pray that our small pieces of this greater story um, would bring you glory. I do pray for this morning especially that as we look at this particular text that we can see that this particular set of verses can change the way that we think about our gospel advancement and our aspirations towards gospel advancement and that we could find ourselves to be much more tenacious and much more intentional about the way we live our lives rather than maybe just apathetic. So Lord, I pray that you would take this um, this piece of your word and drive it down deep into our souls and that we would be changed by it. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, if this is your first time here, let me give you just a small little recap so you can kind of know what's going on here um, and why Paul has written a book called The Philippians or a letter called The Philippians to a church in the city of Philippi. This was after Jesus had died and had, was, was raised from the dead Paul became a believer later on after that, uh, a little bit after that, and he was going around from city to city 
telling people about Christ and a church would get formed after he would tell people about Christ and believers would kind of come together and they would form a church. And that was really what he called, Paul felt called to do is go to these cities where there weren't really any believers. And so if you read in Acts chapter 16, there's a picture of a man saying, Paul, come to Macedonia. And so this, he went to the region of Macedonia and he found some believers in the city of Philippi in the region of Macedonia and he preached the gospel there. Some people got saved and then he planted a little church there and then he left and went to another place. And so that, that, re, that city, that that city of Philippi, a church was formed. And a few years later, as Paul's going around and going, and he says, I want to go proclaim the gospel at Rome. Well, he ended up getting to proclaim the gospel at Rome, as we're going to see, but as a prisoner, not necessarily the way he intended. And this church that he had planted heard, Paul, whom we care deeply for, is in prison. And so that kind of pains us. That that, that makes us feel sad. We love Paul, and we don't want anything to be wrong with him. And we can actually see how Paul feels about them as well. You can see this, as we saw last couple of weeks in, in chapter 1, verse 7. He says, I hold you in my heart. And then he also says in verse 8, I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Now, he's just not being lovey-dovey-mushy. He's actually talking about he actually really deeply loves these particular people, and they really care about him. Just, just consider someone you're really close with, best friend or family or child. Just consider how the deep affections you have for them and how much you care about them. Well, they hear Paul's in prison, and they're, they're kind of distraught, and they don't know. They don't have FaceTime and, you know, chat and texting, and they don't know what's going on. Rumors and things are going on. How's he doing? We don't know. We keep, people keep telling us. And so Paul writes, uh, they, they send a gift with a guy named Epaphroditus over to Paul. We hear you're in prison. We hope you're doing okay. Here's, here's the gift. We hope this blesses you. We hope this helps you while you're in prison. He's so blessed by it. He's so thankful, and he has such a tender affection for them. He writes a letter, and he sends it back with the guy Epaphroditus, and this is the letter. So we can just, uh, if you could, let's just put ourselves into the Philippians as they receive the letter. Remember, they have deep affections for Paul. They love him very much. Imagine someone that you really, really care about. You're wanting to know, I'm tired of the rumors. I can't, you know, even the USPS doesn't even come here and, and tell me how Paul's doing. I'm tired of hearing it. Somebody has finally hand-delivered this mail. I want to know what's going on. How is it? And then Paul, typical Paul, I mean, just so... Um, not focused on himself for the first 11 verses he just talks about how much he cares about them and how much he's praying for them so that they may not have even listened to that at first read they're kind of thinking okay Paul you know you're talking about yourself we want to know how you're doing what's going on you're you're talking about um, how much you pray for us and how much you love us we want to know how you're doing personally and then boom right there verse 12 Paul starts talking about what's going on in him personally and then as they hear it Oh, he's okay. We can just imagine as they're reading here. And he says in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And they're like, oh, he's okay. He's alive. Thank goodness he's fine. And as they hear it, they can just imagine maybe even tears in their eyes saying, and he's not even making it about himself. He's making it about Jesus. It served to advance the gospel. And so they're, they're relieved. They're finally glad that they know how Paul is doing. And I, I want to just kind of build for us a little bit even more this great anticipation um, in verse 12, this unbelievable statement that Paul makes in verse 12. So <clears throat> I don't do this very often. I know if I do this too often, y'all are just going to you know, disown me. So <clears throat> usually when people read me long, long things, after about sentence three, I'm kind of checked out. But don't do that. Like, stay with me because I'm telling you, this is awesome. I mean, this is just awesome. This is a commentary, <clears throat> and he's for us building us Um, in history, this kind of Paul's history, bringing us to verse 12, bringing us kind of over the last couple years that that brought Paul to the point of verse 12 to say that sentence. And we need to hear what brought Paul to that sentence, sentence in verse 12. And it said, 
um, talking about Paul. What happened to Paul began in Acts 21, 17, when the Apostle Paul set foot in Jerusalem, forewarned by the Holy Spirit that bonds in a prison awaited him. But he still went. Um, an entirely false accusation was leveled at him. We all received maybe persecutions like this by even his own people. He was nearly lynched by a religious mob, and he ended up in the Roman prison, having escaped um, from this, a flogging only, only by pleading citizenship. So he escaped the flogging by pleading his citizenship. The whole case was, bes- was beset by a mockery of justice, for though all right was on his side, he could not even secure a hearing. He was made the subject of unjust and unprovoked insult and shame. Malicious misrepresentation was was said about him and and a deadly plot. He was kept in prison owing to official craving for popularity or for money or because of an over-punctilious, that just means extremely attentive, facade of legalism. So these legalists were really, really on his case trying trying to get him. And then it says, "...even then his sufferings were not over." There came the prolonged trial, which is the storm at sea, and then his life hung, as it seemed, by a thread, both because of the elements and because of the petty officiousness, which is just like aggressiveness of the people that were trying to get him. Eventually, he reached Rome, which is what he wanted, but not the way he thought. He reached Rome as a prisoner, not as a free man able to proclaim the gospel the way he wanted. Eventually, when he reached Rome, it was <coughs> it was far from the embedded. I can't even say this, ambassadorial entry that he had doubtlessly looked for. He came into the company condemned, bound by chains, destined to drag out at least two years under arrest, awaiting the uncertain decision of an earthly king. Nevertheless, he was still in prison, still chained, still unheard, still uncertain. He looks back at all this adversity and he says, what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I know I can't read very well, but seriously, besides that, isn't that amazing that he's, he's able to say after all those things that what has happened to me, Philippians, all this adversity that you've heard of, it's all true, and it has served to advance the gospel. So you can hear as this, Boyce goes on to say this. This is awesome. He goes on to say, suffering for Christ is a joy one through veils of tears. When we suffer, certainly we'll have tears. Suffering's a joy won through veils of tears, but is one of the choicest prizes in the Christian life. Choicest prizes in the Christian life to receive suffering at the hands of people. So here we are at verse 12, and all this has happened. He goes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Let's, so let's talk about what has happened? Well, we know all that kind of recap from the book of Acts, but there's also some other things that are happening to him, which you can see here in verse 12. And he said, um, from 15 to 18, we're going to hear that some people are preaching Christ against him, that some people are, you can see that in verse 17, they're seeking to afflict him. And so we want to understand what's actually happening right here. Well, here's what's going on. He had all this adversity happen to him, and he's put in prison. So as he's put in prison, there's people that are believers that hear about Paul in prison. And they're saying, you know, we're talking about the Apostle Paul. He's, he's on the varsity level when it comes to frontier missions. Paul's just so irresponsible. I mean, he's just irresponsible. Paul let himself get put into prison. It would be way better if Paul wouldn't have done that. But instead, if he would think of advancing the gospel in the city that he's in, not in some little nasty Roman first century dungeon, but not letting himself get put in prison, being a little bit more careful, and then really going to the city that he wanted to go to and proclaiming the gospel. So he's getting these critics, and he's saying, 
He's wanting to help him to understand all those things that happen has really actually served to advance the gospel. The critics are bad-mouthing him, saying he's unwise for getting put in jail. And he's saying, forget the critics. Forget all the things that happened to me. I have absolutely no regrets whatsoever because the things that have taken place over the last few years of my life that have brought me to this particular point have actually served to advance the gospel. My comforts are secondary to gospel advancement. So here I said at the very beginning that this particular set of verses could literally change the way you think about living your life to make you a much more tenacious person when it comes to proclaiming the gospel to people in your life. And so here we see Paul is saying comforts, ease, all those things are secondary in my mind to the advancement of the gospel in any particular way that I get to. And so as we're talking about kind of this big, huge um, theme of this set of verses here, which is gospel advancement, which needs to be central, the first thing I want you to see is, as Paul is willing to throw away comforts for the advancement of the gospel, we should as well. So the first thing is, we should concern ourselves with advancing the gospel over our comforts. We should concern ourselves with advancing the gospel over our comforts, which is very difficult. I mean, there's no question about it. We tend to gravitate towards ease, comfort. I don't want, that sounds like it's dangerous. That sounds like it might have persecution. People might say some things about me. That's not the kinds of things I want to do. But Paul's willing to say, I'll even take jail if it means gospel advancement. So just consider right now with me. Think in your own life. Just brainstorm away about your own life. What could it mean in my own life about the comforts and ease that I've kind of hedged around myself that keep me in if I were to jump over those hedges and really get involved in tenacious gospel advancement? What are the eases and comforts that I've put around myself? And how can I kill those things so that I can actually live a life that is far more serious about gospel advancement? Because my life is short. It's a mist. It's a vapor in the wind. And when I get to heaven, there's nobody there that needs to hear the gospel. They all know it. This is my chance. This is my shot. People that are unbelievers are here. In heaven, they're believers. So this is my chance here. So how can I change my mindset shift that I am willing to even sacrifice comforts, ease, and all those things for a radical, tenacious advancement of the gospel? This is what Paul does. Paul says, I'm willing to take jail if it even means that. That's fine with me. Now, that's the first thing. But let's, after we kind of mention that first thing, and hopefully you're brainstorming those things. If, if you want, you know, maybe you've got some notes. Write some of those things down. We'll come, we'll come back to that in a second. But let's just ask what would may, maybe be the obvious question. Okay, Paul, how much gospel advancement did you really get? You're in prison. You're in prison. I mean, we're talking about the city of Rome, and you're in prison. Is that really, I mean, can you compare those two? Is that really... A whole lot. He's saying it's really served to advance the gospel. Well, let's look at 13. And 13 is going to help us see our second point. Look what he says. So that it has become known throughout, oh, I love this, the whole imperial guard. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. So that's seeming to say a whole lot of people. And it says, and to all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord, by my imprisonment are even much more bold to speak the word. So here we can see that 
he is put, brought to, where, if you look at uh, your, your verse 13, it says the whole imperial guard. If you're in the ESV, I call it the elect standard version, just kind of a joke, but it says the whole imperial guard. You probably have a little five there besides the word guard, and that tells you to look down in the footnote. <clears throat> if you look down in the footnote where it says Greek in the whole praetorium, more than likely, if you're using a KJV or NKJV, that word praetorium is, is the correct Greek word, and the way it's been translated if you're using NKJV or KJV, just talks about buildings in the whole palace or the whole building. But actually, we understand that Greek word a little bit better than whenever you know they were translated back in the 1600s. And it doesn't mean buildings, the word praetorium. And instead, it's not talking about buildings and structures. It's actually talking about people and all the people there. So if we read on, when we say the ESV actually does a good job when it says imperial god or praetorium because we're actually talking about scores of people. So what he's saying is this imprisonment has actually served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. All right? So what's happening is Paul has gotten there, and commentators have told us that there were probably somewhere around 9,000 guards in this praetorium. Well, that's a lot of people. So is he actually saying every single person that was a guard actually walked down to the thing and it was assigned to him? Probably not. But... When Paul got there, I mean, it wasn't like Paul was some kind of small potatoes guy. He was a pretty big deal. Um, you know, I, I, I need to make sure I say this. As we're talking about Paul, we need to be careful not to lift Paul up so high on a pedestal because that's just dangerous. If, if Paul were in this room, he would say, stop talking about me so great and start putting Christ up on the pedestal. So let's just realize that when we say, here's an example of Paul, we're actually saying, who made his whole life about Jesus, and so that's who is the most important person. But we're looking at Paul's letter and, and trying to understand and how that points us to Christ. I just feel like that was necessary. So anyway, back to um, the text here. So Paul arrived to this particular guard, and all of a sudden the word got out. You hear who's here? No, who's here? Paul's here. Paul, you mean Saul Paul? You know, bright light, blind him, you know, go over there, and like, oh, I don't know about this guy, Paul. Yeah, that guy's here. You need to get down there. You need to hear this guy speak. This guy's crazy. What do you mean what are you talking about? Just go down there. When he talks, power. That's all I can say. It's just, it's unbelievable when he starts talking. And what is it that's so powerful about his message? Romans 1, 16, 17, 18, because he's preaching the gospel and there's power in the message, not in the messenger. And so you can just hear Paul's here. And actually, so probably more than likely what's happened is when he's put there, you know, he's assigned someone and word gets out where guards just find themselves cycling down to hear this popular prisoner. What is it? And every time they get there, Paul's ready to, oh, you're here. Guess what? We have, we have to talk again because I've got a message for you as well. And so what my point is this. Let's, let's, let's talk about two. There's a couple sub points for two. But here's, here's what I want you to think about. When I'm saying I want you to adopt a tenacious gospel advancement mentality, here's why. Everybody's like, Paul, you missed it. You could have gone to Rome and preached to all the places, but instead you're stuck in this prison. You, you, you could have, these are, this is the, the critique of the critics. You just messed it up. But instead, we're going to see here that Paul actually was able to do a whole lot more than what we would have thought. A whole lot more gospel advancement. And that's what he's saying. It served to, to advance the gospel. So here's the second point. Paul did a far more than we would have thought. And so there's a much deeper impact than what you can imagine when you live for, with a gospel advancing mentality. Paul, no one would have thought that he's going to have a whole lot of impact for gospel advancement being put in a prison. However, as we read, he has a tremendous impact on people's lives and them coming to know Christ. So let's see those two things. Let's see those two things. The first one is in the guards where he says, it has really served 
to uh, advance the gospel so that throughout the whole imperial guard that they know my imprisonment is for Christ. So the way it happened back then is, is more than likely someone was come and actually chained to Paul just so they didn't want him to get away, and they would sit there. And so we can just imagine the conversation as it ensues. You know, Paul kind of just sitting there, and he looks over at him, and he says, uh, so um, I hear you're a soldier. And he's like, yeah, I'm a soldier. And Paul says, well, I'm a soldier too. And the guy's like, well, no, you're not. Yeah, I'm a soldier for Christ. And then he just, gospel. And so it's like, and then the next person comes in and he, he, he buckles in. He goes, so uh, you're a soldier, huh? I'm a soldier too. Gospel again. So it's just over and over again and again. Finally, the guys just come. I know you're a soldier. Let's, let's just go ahead and tell me. And so Paul is not wasting any of these opportunities. Every person that's coming in, and that's why it's, it's known throughout the whole Imperial Guard. Paul is not wasting an opportunity here. And we know from commentaries probably around 9,000 guards here so the way that advances for us as we're looking at number two when I say there's a much deeper impact than you can imagine when you start adopting this gospel advancing mentality the first is as it relates to unbelievers these are the guards and for us it's unbelievers if you adopt this gospel advancing mentality you really don't know the impact you can have on all the unbelievers that are around you far I, I guarantee you it's far more than you could think and so I'm saying what if you actually shifted, destroyed the hedges around and started doing it? Maybe it's 9,000. I don't know. Maybe it's more. Maybe, we don't know. But instead of wondering, why don't we be faithful and start being radical and being tenacious about going out there and start doing it? Think of all the unbelievers around you that need to hear the gospel, whose lives can be changed. So you're a soldier. So you're a whatever. Well, I am too. You just start it. Gospel. So that's the first one is um, we see that with the guards over and over and over again. But we also see what it did to the believers in the prison. Look at what it says in 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So under that heading of you have no idea or there's a much deeper impact than you can imagine, here we all see it with the... the um, other prisoners who are believers. And so in your life, if you adopt this radically gospel-advanced mentality, you're also going to serve them by helping the believers become far more excited about um, preaching the gospel. Carson, as he's looking at this, says, a whiff of persecution sometimes puts backbone into otherwise timid Christians. That's awesome. I mean, that's awesome. So you don't have any idea the impact your life if you start living out with tenacity, all of a sudden there's other people that are believers around you, and you start sharing the gospel. They hear that, and they're like, dang, that was awesome. I can do that. I, I think I can do that. That's something I can do. Um, let, let me give you a, uh, well, let's say it this way. You have no idea that whenever you're doing it, what kind of, what kind of fire it might light in the hearts of the believers around you. It, they might receive, if you will, a, a spiritual kick in the pants on their lack of desire to want to share the gospel and advance the gospel. So here we see Paul, because he has really a complete trust in God, he's willing to go and, and do this. He sees that unbelievers, guards are hearing the gospel, and believers are hearing the gospel and, and being more, uh, as he says, confident in the Lord by his imprisonment. And they're also now much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, not just the 9,000 guards are being affected, but who knows how many other people, those Christian prisoners are telling the gospel. And so it's really spread out far more, far more than they could think. So the critics are, you know, probably finding their mouths being even more closed. Now, here's the thing. 
those first two that we just talked about, if we adopt those things in our minds, in our lives, should shift the way we do things. It should find, we should find ourselves being a whole lot more um, willing to go out and be more active in sharing our faith, killing those hedges so that we can get rid of comforts and start telling people, making sure that when unbelievers are around, we think of the eternity is at stake for them and we love them deeply and we want them to hear the gospel. And if we tell them the gospel, we certainly shouldn't get like surprising. Um, and I don't think it's unloving to tell them the gospel. I, I told this illustration a long time ago, but if you were to go up to somebody's house and their house is literally like in flames and burning down and you went up to the house and you just started just crushing the door and you're like, come outside, come outside. And they answer the door and you look at them, your house is on fire, get out of the house. What's the matter with you? Get out and you start yelling at them. They wouldn't think that that seriousness that you're talking with them with would be somehow mysterious. They wouldn't say, well, you seem pretty upset. <laughs> Why are you so, you know, kind of elevated in your 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 way you're talking right now they would see my house is on fire you have something important to tell me well this is exactly what's going on figuratively with people that are unbelievers literally the house is on fire and so as we're talking to them about their eternity if it comes across that we have a little bit of feeling behind it it makes perfect sense and when they see that feeling behind it they shouldn't think that it's a little bit strange that we think it's important and so Whenever we're around people, there should be a tenacity, a seriousness. Like, I want to get rid of these things, and I need to tell them because there is an eternity at stake here. Their house is on fire, and they need to know. And so there should be some emotion behind it, not in a way that's condescending and going to put them down. And, but literally, if that's the path, we should have some desperate feelings for them. All right, so that's how Paul lived, and that's how I think that we can realize that if we start changing, then things can start happening in our life that we are amazed by. But those are the first two. That's, that's talking about the way we do things. Now, these next two that I want to talk about aren't necessarily dealing with the way we do things, but more so dealing with the way we think. Now, this is a, this is a kind of a right turn in the sermon. It, it's not necessarily heading down the same path, but Paul's carried along by the Holy Spirit as he wrote, and I'm not. So we're going we're gonna to take the right turn with Paul, and we're going to keep going. But I think we're going to come around, and we're going to see that it's pretty helpful. Again, this is about helping us understand the way we think. So let me ask you a question. Um, sometimes in life, whenever we are involved, especially kind of here in, in America, there's tons and tons of ministries around us. But sometimes whenever people are seeming to have success in their ministries, um, whenever we learn that these successful ministries are, are really growing, they're having lots of success, and we find out some things and we see some things, and maybe we hear some things about the kind of the lead person or the main speaker or just the overall ministry might have some things about them when they preach a gospel um, that is, is, is Christ is being proclaimed, but it seems that whenever they're doing it, their motives don't seem to be lining up with the way we would think biblically it should happen. We think to ourselves, well, we're about the advancement of the gospel and we want everybody that loves and preaches the gospel to be about gospel advancement. But when I look at the way that they're advancing the gospel, it seems like the way that they're advancing the gospel is done, at least in their motives, and, and I'm not Jesus, but it seems like in their motives, it's a little questionable. And, and again, Paul is making this judgment call for us. He's, he's freely looking at people and saying that some people are preaching out of envy and rivalry. Just so you know, if I say envy, just, just act like I said envy. Um, because I'm throwing together envy and rivalry. But um, I did that the whole first service. But what's happening is Paul is hearing these people, particularly these critics. They're saying, they're saying Paul 
blew it. And so we're the ones that are actually preaching Christ. We're pre- out here, we're preaching Christ, we're doing it. And when Paul looks at that and the way they're doing it and how they're critiquing Paul, he's saying it seems like the way that they're pre- proclaiming Jesus is they're doing it out of envy, they're doing it out of rivalry. You can see that in verse 15. And so I think Paul's going to help us a- ask this question and answer this question. Whenever we see that going on in people's lives, what are the ways that we should react? What's the way that we should think through that well? Again, I'm not talking about doing things like on the first two. I'm talking about thinking. And this is part of Christian life. As you adopt gospel advancement in your life, you're going to see other people that are adopting gospel advancement, and you've got to know how to think about that. It's, it's important as believers that we think well. And we've got to know, you know, what do we do? Do we just start a blog about them anonymously and just rail on them? Is that what we're supposed to do? No, hopefully not. Um, but let's go ahead and let's identify something first and foremost, because this is important. As we read, let's just read 15 through 18 and make one special note. This is important. It said, some indeed, look at this, preach Christ. So that's important. Paul is not addressing their understanding of Jesus. Instead, he's addressing the motive behind which they preach. So he says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others with with goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ. So he's saying that they're preaching Christ out of rivalry. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me. What then? Only that in every way or in pretense, um, in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So, as he's talking about these people, it seems that he is saying that they are preaching Christ. So, he is not saying that they're heretics, and that's important to note. He's not saying that they're preaching a, a different gospel. What he's saying is that they're preaching a gospel in a certain way that their motives seem to be wrong. So that's the first thing. We need to be careful as we just throw out the heretic term. Paul is being a very astute here, as, as we should. We need to address, first and foremost, what Jesus are they preaching? Are they preaching the Mormon Jesus, or the Jehovah's Witness Jesus, or the liberal Jesus, or the prosperity Jesus, or the liberation Jesus, or the biblical Jesus? Which one is it? And Paul's saying it's not any of the heretics, it's not any of the heresies. They're preaching Jesus, but as they're preaching Jesus, they're doing it with impure, it seems to be wrong motives. And, of course, what we want is to preach Jesus with right motives. And so we can kind of throw the heretic out of the window. That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about the people that actually proclaim Christ. And he's helping us understand which one, uh, as they proclaim Christ, how do we understand it? So let's just look at a a quick comparison and contrast of they're proclaiming Christ, and some are doing it with wrong motives, and some doing it with right. Let's, Let's give a quick comparison just there in the text. The ones doing it with wrong motives, even though they're preaching Christ, are doing it from envy, verse 15, rivalry, verse 15, insincerely, verse 17, or insincerity, and they're also wanting to afflict Paul, verse 17. So they're preaching Christ with insincere motives, but the ones who are preaching Christ with sincere motives, they're preaching from goodwill, 15, from love, 16, and they're actually doing it with a defense of the gospel, 17. And so as we look at that, we're saying, well, what we want is that We're putting the advance at the center part of our aspirations. So how can we understand this? And I think that the answer for us is right there in 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in wrong motives or in truth, right motives, Christ is proclaimed and in that I rejoice. So here's the third one. I know that was like, finally, come on. I mean, I finally got to it, I know. (laughs) Here's the third one. Rejoice that Christ is preached and advanced even when not done with right motives. Whenever there's people who are actually preaching Christ, it's just that their motives are wrong. They're not heretics. Their motives are wrong. 
what Paul is telling us, he's prescribing us as believers, the way that we should think about that, because we have adopted this gospel advancement mentality, and when we see things, we're going to run across it. He tells us that we should rejoice that Christ is preached and advanced, even when it's not done with right motives. Now, here's the thing. This is so key. Very, very key. This takes maturity. It's not easy. There has to be within us just a reliance upon the Holy Spirit that if there's people that are preaching Christ with wrong motives, that the Holy Spirit is going to do a far better job than we are at pointing that out to them. <laughs> I mean, we can say things. We can go start our anonymous blog and get it, blah, 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 but more than likely, it's better for just the Holy Spirit to let him do his work because it seems like if they're proclaiming Christ, they have an understanding of the gospel, they love Christ, it's just that there's some sanctification issues that still need to happen. And what we think about is, we want to advance the gospel. We hear that, we think that's wrong. How do we think about it? We should proclaim. Now, let's be really careful here because I have, I have a couple things I want to say about it. What this does not mean, this does not mean that since they're having so much success that we should, and it seems to be wrong motives, that we should somehow now conform our method to theirs, especially if we think it might be wrong, conform our method to theirs just so we can have more success like them. And it also doesn't mean that we should necessarily condone their method. So that if we are given some futuristic conversation that we know them well and we love them well as brothers and sisters, we could have a conversation. We should. But in the end, I, I think that the best thing that we can do is just respond the way Paul responds and just saying, well, this is something that the Holy Spirit's going to take care of. And all I can do is just rejoice that Christ is being proclaimed and just kind of leave it at that. I, I don't know what else to do now. I know that's kind of a big right turn from what we were doing in the beginning. But I think that's going to happen, especially in our lives, if we are really serious about gospel advancement. We're going we're gonna to run into other ministries that are serious about gospel advancement. And it seems like sometimes, because we're all imperfect people, um, they might not necessarily be doing it. It doesn't mean also that we're, now we're the judge. Which way are you doing it? Which way are you doing it? I wanna, I wanna, you know, that's not what we're saying either. But we will bump into those things, especially maybe like with Paul, they're critiquing him, so he's got to be able to give an answer to the Philippians to think well. It's just as important that we think well as much as the way we, we proclaim the gospel and do things well. Now, here's the last one. Here's the last one. It comes right here in verse 18. Um, as I said, the, the dominant theme of the book of Philippians is about joy. We're going to see over and over and over, joy, rejoice, joy, rejoice. And the whole dominant theme of the book of, of Philippians is about joy. And so the last thing that we're going to see is if we are to adopt this mentality of real, radical, tenacious gospel advancement, then verse 18, what then only that in every way or in pretense or that in truth Christ is proclaimed, and look at this, and in that I rejoice. Here's the fourth one. Gospel advancement always yields real joy. There's a battle, a daily battle happening in your life for your happiness. It's coming from all fronts. People want to, temptations want to, all over, draw you in and bring you towards their level of superficial, kind of first level happiness. And what we're saying here is if we kind of settle in, ease in on that ease, comfort, happiness level, and we know happiness can, can be taken away at any moment, if we settle in on that and just stay there, then we're not going to pursue joy. Because and if that happens, you know, a phone call away, happiness is gone, and all of a sudden we're devastated. But we're not necessarily just kind of shooting for that first level, easy, comfort, happiness. Instead, we're pushing through on a radical pursuit of joy in Christ, which 
if I'm unhappy or happy, I still can have joy in Christ. And what, what Paul is telling us is, if we position our lives that the gospel being advanced becomes our heart cry, the gospel being advanced becomes what we deeply desire, then we will find ourselves on the pathway of having real joy, not superficial first-level happiness. And listen, I'm not down in your happiness. I want you to be happy. I want you to have fun kids, and you, know, you go do all the things with them. These things aren't terrible. God has created happiness. It's not like it kind of took him by surprise. How did I create happiness? I didn't mean to do that. I want you sad all the time, but joyous. Uh, he created happiness, so he, like, he wants us to be happy. Um, and I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm saying don't just slide in and ease into just that and let that be the dominant theme of your life. Instead, push forward into Christ-exalting joy so that when happiness isn't going your way, you still have joy in Christ. And that is found in what we're seeing here in verse 18. A deep desire to have gospel advancement be what's going on in your life. So, this is how I want to conclude. Um, We've been talking about this word gospel quite often. And um, any sermon that is preached, the goal of the sermon that I'm, any preacher is trying to drive for is that you would exercise and put forward faith. That's what I'm after. I'm not after necessarily behavior modification. I'm after faith, me, Jesus. So um, we've kind of talked about this word gospel pretty often here. And so what I want to do in a, in a way to conclude is um, help us all get a good picture of the gospel, which is going to lead us into worship. So um, if you're a believer, this is going to be a, a rehearsal of the best thing you've ever heard in your life. If you're not a believer, we keep talking about this word gospel, and I want you to hear this because this is literally the best message news you've ever heard in your life before. Every single one of us are born as daughters and sons of Adam. And in Genesis 3, it tells us that they fell, that they were walking in the garden, they were tempted, and when they tempted, all of a sudden, all of humanity and all of creation now is fallen and broken, and all of creation and all of humanity is crying out for redemption. And because of that brokenness that happened, whenever we fractured, sin happened, it entered the world, and we're all now products are, are in the line of Adam and Eve. Every single one of us are born with a corrupt human nature, and willingly we choose to sin. It's not like it happens to us passively. Actively, we, willing cho- we willingly choose to sin, and we're all on a direct pathway that we have chosen towards hell. And God could have been completely just when we broke the rules to say, well, that's the rules. You broke them. And just let us keep going. And, say, and could have just let it go. And nothing would have been wrong with his character. His perfections would have never been impugned. He would have been perfectly righteous to let that happen. But instead, out of great mercy and great love, from eternity past, his plan was those children... Walking on eternity, walking down this path towards eternal destruction, I don't want that for them. Instead, what they deserve is death. What they deserve is my wrath. But if I put forward my son, who is 100% God and 100% man, he will live a perfect life. And because he lives a perfect life, he will be the complete, perfect sacrifice. And if I put all of my wrath on him and not on them, all of my righteous anger is directed towards them, which he has to direct his righteous anger somewhere because he's God or else he's an unjust judge. He puts it all on Jesus. And when he puts it all on Jesus, now Jesus becomes the one who stands between 
us and God. And no longer do we have to go down the path towards destruction. But instead, if we turn, repent from our sin, and put our faith in the death of Christ on the cross for us, we no longer have to receive death. Instead, he received it for us. And then what's known as the great exchange happens. All of his righteousness, all of his perfection is then imputed or given to us. All of our sin and all of our death has been imputed to him at the cross and the great exchange happens and now for us all we know now is perfect relationship with god there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ if you put your faith in christ now the rest of your days you can walk freely having a ongoing sanctified righteous relationship with the creator of the world who could have let you walk down that path but instead said from eternity past it's my plan to adopt these brothers and sisters as my own, to put forward my son so that we could be reconciled and I could have daughters and sons of mine that are followers of mine. Isn't that just one of the most unbelievable messages you've ever heard? One of the best messages of grace ever. And this was the message that radically changed Paul. Radically changed Paul. And this is the kind of person he became listen to this this is great this is a quote from Boyce so that Paul even the guards that literally put the chains around Paul's wrist to hold him down in the prison those particular people that were doing him wrong at that moment they represented to Paul a person for whom Christ died and that changed the way he lived and so every person around you is a person for whom Christ died who you now are called out to advance the gospel towards and tell them this great message that we have been given. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he from eternity past has purposed to save sinners, sons and daughters, adopt them as his own and reconcile them back to him. And then they can spend eternity with him forever and not have to spend eternal punishment in hell, but eternal life in heaven. That is incredible news. That's the powerful message that we've been given as believers in Jesus. And so I just don't see how we can, in this short life we have, be satisfied with building hedges around ourselves in comfort and not want to advance this message. If it's that good, how can we not want everyone to know this? How can we just become apathetic how can we become lazy i said at the beginning i think that this particular set of verses could literally change the way you live your life and i I believe that it's not because i've said it it's because the holy spirit's going to do it in your heart the holy spirit's going to do it in your heart and that's what i've been praying for and hopefully that's what you prayed for at the beginning and so we're going to go into a time now of response and at at remedy we believe that when we engage the word that god speaks to us not me god speaks to us through his word and if we've heard from god we can't just let that be a 15 second thought and then run out to lunch but instead i need at least if i'm if god just talked to me the creator of everything who created me has spoken to me I need some space to stop and think for a little bit. God just talked to me. I need to to consider what he's saying. I need some time here. 
And so we, we think that that's the case here. We believe that that's what's going on. And so you need some time here. We have a few songs here where you can respond the way that the Holy Spirit is leading you. Perhaps you want to stay seated. You just want to read the text or you just want to confess, Lord, I'm apathetic. I mean, this, that message is unbelievable. And it's so huge and so amazing that my response should be congruent to the enormity of it. And it's not. And so change my heart. Help me have a desire to want to advance this gospel with tenacity, Lord. I want to tell, I want, I want to tell everybody about Christ. And if that's not you, maybe you just need to spend some time thinking, reflecting, and saying, God, change my heart. We've got space here that whatever the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart, all I ask is be obedient to his leading. Just be obedient to his leading. Let him lead you in this time of response. And then as you think, as you pray, as you read, as you just conversate, stand and just worship Christ. Whatever way he's wired you, sing out praises to him and let, let this corporate sense of worship that we have through song be the fuel that leads you out to go do a lifestyle worship and then as you're doing mission work as you're telling people about christ gospel advancement throughout this next six days let that be the fuel that brings you back in here to want to hear the gospel again and also want to worship christ corporately again to be sent back out and that's that's the christian life so however the holy spirit's leading these moments i just ask that you be obedient to it and just think through and pray through and, and worship with, with whatever way the Holy Spirit's wired you to worship. So I'm going to pray now, and uh, if you want to talk, I'll be down front here. I, I'd be glad to have a conversation with you. If that freaks you out and you think that's really strange, then talk to the person that you came with. That's probably better. Um, or even after church, you know, if you don't want to talk during singing, you just want to reflect and think and respond and have a conversation. Talk to the person you came with after church. Talk with me after church. You can talk with Stephen after church. We'd love to be able to have a conversation with you about this unbelievable gospel message. Believer or unbeliever? If you're a believer, let's talk about how to get you radically oriented towards sharing the gospel. If you're not a believer, let's talk about how you can understand that great gospel message and you do not have to walk down an eternity towards hell. Instead, you can know Jesus and you can be forgiven forever because... Christ is the only way towards salvation. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only way to know Christ. I mean, to know God. To be forgiven. So I'm going to pray and turn it over to Stephen for our time of worship. And just as the Lord leads, stand or stay seated and just respond as, as he's leading you. Let's pray. God, I'm just so thankful that you come and superintend these moments because I'm so flawed and such a sinner and without the Holy Spirit taking any attempt at what I've said, it would do nothing. So I'm so thankful, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is present and he takes your words and he does a work in my life as I see these words and hear these words and in all of our lives. And so I pray for every single one of us. If there's places in our lives where we have not given our whole life over to gospel advancement, that we, if there's places that we can say, you know, that's an area of my life that I'm not serious about gospel advancement. Lord, that you would come now by the Spirit and reveal those things to us 
and then also give us the deep desire and courage and gospel understanding to know that we should give those things over because we have the greatest message ever to tell people. Forgiveness in Christ. It's not a message. It's the greatest message. So Lord, I pray that you would be with us now as we respond. Although there might be some people that are feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, help them also feel and understand that the Holy Spirit who convicts is the same Holy Spirit that comforts. And nobody comforts like the Holy Spirit. So be with us now as we respond. And I pray, Lord, that this day, radical missionaries were born for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.